Alrighty. Good morning. Let me pray real quick. Father, we love you, um, and we thank you that we can be gathered here today. And I just pray that, yeah, as we spend a little time together, that what remains from this conversation is you, that we would walk away today loving you um, and each other a little better. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, I just want to start by saying thank you. Um, Roberta, myself, our friends in Japan, we love Crossway Church. Um, you guys don't know us as individuals that well, but just getting to spend a week or two every summer for the last six years uh, with some of your folks is just a really a privilege to us, and we want to say thank you. Um, following the tsunami, we've had hundreds of volunteers and short-term workers come to serve with us in Japan um, from all over the world. And kind of with our work, we get asked every now and then by some churches, um, how can you do short-term missions well in Japan specifically? And your church is one of the examples we use most common. Um, not just saying that because I'm standing in front of Crossway Irvine, but it's, it's the truth. We talk about the excellence of the people that you send who love Jesus passionately, are humble, w willing to learn, willing to serve. And so we just want to say thank you. Um, we really appreciate who you send. They represent you well. Um, yeah. A bit about us, I'm Robert. And my wife, who is much more attractive than me, thank goodness, is Roberta. And so, yeah, we are that narcissistic that we married somebody with the same name. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm from Texas. She's from Pennsylvania. We met in the Chicago area, and our children were born in Japan. So we don't really know where home is, but um, we're in Japan right now serving with an organization um, called Asian Access. And just a distinctive with our organization, everything we do is in partnership with Japanese Christians. So we're not over there planning the church of Robert and Roberta. Um, everything we do is under the leadership and alongside Japanese leadership. And so even today as I'm talking, when I'm saying we, I'm not meaning Roberta and myself, I'm meaning our Japanese brothers and sisters and us. And so if you can just hear it through that filter. Um, another disclaimer is don't worry, this is not the missionary presentation where I'm going to lock the doors and ask for your checkbooks. So I just, I really hope you guys walk away today, um, maybe with your heart being stirred a little towards missions and more of a desire to, to pray for Japanese people. Um, and if we get those two things, it's a win for me. So yeah, so that's where we're going. Um, a little bit about why Japan. Um, so in your bulletin, it shows that it's 0.5% Christian. Um, it's the second largest unreached people group in the world. Um, it's an aging church. Most folks in Japan did come to faith post-World War II, and it's been slowly aging and shrinking since then. But um, there's a quote by one of my favorite theologians, Joseph Stalin. Um, and good, you're listening. And, um, <laughs> but, um, but Stalin, he did, I think he stumbled upon um, some spiritual truth and when he was talking once, and he said that one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. Um, and I know my heart works that way, is if you tell me that there's over 100 million people in, G in Japan living and dying without knowing Christ, that's a big number. It doesn't really resonate with me. It doesn't drive me to action. But as a college student, as I got to know individuals and to see their personality and learn about their interests, that's how God moved my heart. And so I just want to introduce you to a few of my friends real fast before we dive in. Um, I forget the order they're in, but I believe at the top is a lady named Akiko. Everybody, Akiko? Very good, perfect. Um, she is a, a housewife, um, mother of two. Her husband works a kind of a blue-collar blue job. It's a really cool one. He repairs the bullet trains, but they're just kind of a normal family in Japan that we're going to talk about her a little later, but we're, we're impacted by the tsunami and earthquake. 
there's, I believe, um, kind of diagonally down from her, a lady named Muki. Muki? Good. Uh, means pure snow, and she's actually a, a former Olympic athlete um, who runs a nonprofit in our, the town we work in. And she's doing everything she can to help her city recover from the disaster. Um, it's kind of from a humanist approach where her hopes and the ability of people to do good, but she's somebody passionate about seeing her city recover well from this disaster. At the bottom, we have June. June. Okay, good. Just like the month. You guys do not seem very excited about the Japanese. <laughs> We're good there. But um, June's an oyster farmer, which is a really cool thing um, if you like oysters. And he also was impacted by the disaster. We got to know him through Crossway. Um, he had never met a Christian before the disaster as a 30-something-year-old Japanese man, um, let alone had a chance to hear the gospel and even think about responding it. And then the other gentleman up there is Yukimasa. Yukimasa. That's it. No more Japanese words. We're good. But um, Yukimasa is uh, the associate pastor who's being installed as the senior pastor in the church that Crossway partners with in Japan. And he's an example of one of the few Christians who is both holding on to his faith in Jesus and trying to see his city come to know Christ. Um, there's an image that I heard a pastor say kind of describing the spiritual um, kind of climate in Japan that... I really like, there's some flaws in it, so don't really fixate on the flaws, here are the good things. But um, he uses the picture of a waterfall. Um, just think big Niagara Falls type waterfall, but instead of waterfall, instead of water, you have people. So everybody's like, just, you know, the image of people leave, leaving a sporting event, you're kind of all like herded like cows, stuck together, being pushed forward. The, the momentum of the crowd's pushing you, you don't really have a choice, you're just trying to stand up. And so the images he uses is you have this, this river going over a waterfall, and it's Japanese people, separation from God. Um, and in the midst of that river of, say, two, 3,000 people sliding along, you have three, five, eight people that are individually holding onto a rock or holding onto a branch. And that's what it's like to be a Christian in Japan. You have this huge cultural momentum. It's not violent, it's not dangerous, but it's just a steady force pushing you towards that going over that edge and you're desperately holding on to Christ and you have this pressure to see your friends and family and loved ones come to know Christ as well but if you let go of this branch are you going to get pushed along and it's, I think it's a beautiful image or a good image of the need for short-term and long-term workers from around the world to come alongside our Japanese brothers and sisters and hop in the water and help them hold on and help see their friends and family come to know Christ. So this morning, we're gonna spend a little time in Acts chapter two, and we're gonna look at it in a very kind of broad strokes type way. Um, so just, because I think there's a neat parallel between the work of a short-term mission team and the long-term work in the country that we can see in Acts chapter two. So just a quick review um, in chapter two of Acts, verses one through 13, it's Pentecost. So everybody's in a room praying, tongues of fire, bah, we're speaking lots of languages, everybody hears God's word in a new way. Really cool stuff, God intervenes in a radical way and shakes everybody up. Um, this is immediately followed by Peter's sermon. So Peter gives a sermon from 14 through 40, and he explains what happened in light of God's word. So we have God intervening, surprise, boom, here comes the Holy Spirit, and now we can understand what happens in Scripture. And then in verse 41, people respond. So I, I think there, in that, you see kind of a, an interesting parallel with like a short-term mission trip, a conference, a church camp, kind of these key moments in our lives where God does something special, we, whether it's the warm fuzzies, a word from God, kind of however you interact with Jesus. But then we see that in light of Scripture, and we respond. 
Then we hop into 42 through 47, which is just it's one of my favorite passages in scripture. Um, and I'm reading from a different translation today just because if you're like me and you kind of read the same passage again and again in the same whatever, you stop hearing it again. So nothing special about this translation. It just kind of jars my thinking and I hope it jars yours. But verse 42, they all gave full attention to the teaching of the apostles and to the common life, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So Luke gives us this picture of what the early church did um, in just very general, broad terms. But these were the four things that they were committed to in their daily lives, in their, in their walk with Christ. They were committed to teaching. They were committed to knowing what God's, who God is, what the Bible says about who Christ is, the apostles' teaching. They were committed to a common life. It wasn't just them, Jesus, in their Bible. They had a community of believers around them, sharpening them, helping them, helping them grow in their faith, kind of showing them their um, shadow spots, dark sides, whatever else. Food. There was some sort of a meal that was spiritually significant. It was a big piece of their practices. And prayer. They came before God and petitioned on behalf of themselves, their others, their countries, their country. These four very simple practices. And I, I love it because it doesn't, it's not too detailed that it's hard. It's not like you need to pray every morning at 5.30 for an hour and a half, or you need to have Wednesday night prayer meetings or whatever else. It's just, you need to pray. And you need to know scripture and be able to see, see the world through the lens of scripture. It's things that all of us can do, um, regardless of our, how long we've been walking with Christ or what kind of theological background we have. Um, it's independent of culture. It's just, I think, a wonderful thing. So then we hop into 43 through 47. Great awe fell on everyone, and many remarkable deeds and signs were performed by the apostles. All of those who believed came together and held everything in common. They sold their possessions and belongings and divided them up to everyone who was in need. Day by day, they were all together attending the temple. They broke bread in the various houses and ate their food with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and standing in favor with all the people. So kind of in this 43 through 47a passage, we kind of have, so what happened? They had these four practices that they were committed to living out their daily lives, and this is kind of the fruit of it. And we see in 43, people noticed the community that was around the early church saw something different and it got their attention. Then in 44, we see amazing unity, having everything in common. They just didn't hang out. It was real Christian unity. Then 45, amazing generosity. Um, I, I like to think I'm generous, but it really kind of extends to, I'll buy you a meal, loan you a few bucks, maybe help somebody here and there. I don't know if I have it in me to sell my car and pay your medical bill. And that's the level of generosity we're seeing here, folks that are committed to their brothers and sisters to the point that they're able, willing to sacrifice um, to love them and meet their needs. And then we see in 46 through 47a, they continue to eat together, spend time together, and praise God. These rhythms just keep going. Then we jump into 47b, um, and every day the Lord added to their number those who were being rescued. That's cool. They did these things, and God saved people. Um, it's not a formula that if we, we pray and meet together and do these things, you know, X hours a day, we're going to see fruit. But I, I love the way Luke frames it around these are practices that as humans, as Christians, we have control of. These are things we can do. It's Jesus that saves. And so it takes that burden off of us, but it still gives us our task. Um, and it's also, it's not this superstar, green beret for Jesus kind of a mentality. It's the daily grind. It's just because most of our days aren't peaks. Most of our days aren't valleys. It's just the grind, growing in our faith with Christ, 
knowing him more and more daily as we understand scripture, being sharpened by the community around us. So in Acts 2, I, I think we see this kind of broad framework. Um, like I said before, God intervening in 1 through 13, scriptural truth to interpret in 14 through 40, people respond. Then we see the church's community, the daily life, and people responding again in 47b. And the parallel I see there between short-term missions is often in a short-term mission trip or whatever else, the group comes, there's a lot of energy, resources, prayer, activity around this week of intense activity. And it starts something. Hopefully people respond. And then it's the national believers, the long-term workers, the folks there that continue this daily grind of meeting with people, praying together, studying scripture together. Um, in some ways, you kind of see it with the, the Sunday versus the rest of the week um, in the Christian life. We kind of, kind of on, on Sunday morning, you get some good teaching, you get a good challenge, hopefully, and you respond in some way. And then Monday through Saturday, you continue just the, the grind in scripture and prayer going forward. So I wanna look at a couple examples of just the way that your teams from Crossway have started things in Japan and that are bearing fruit through the daily grind of life over there. Um, and so the first thing is, um, first one I wanna look at is destroying a building to build a relationship. So following um, the disaster in 2011, we were over there for two months um, leading short-term teams, my wife and I. And during that time as an agency, we were kind of trying to get connected with local churches in the community, but we were also kind of just floating, trying to find that anchor. And we spent a lot of time doing mud outs, which, if you've done something around flooding or kind of maybe after hurricanes or whatnot, it's kind of similar work. But every day we were going into people's homes with shovels and we were digging down till we got to their flooring. And then we were sending people down into the crawl spaces below the houses to pull out the mud. And we were basically getting the houses back to a point so they could look at repairing them. Um, really important work, really helpful for folks. Hard physical labor, crazy stuff where you're opening a refrigerator that hasn't been opened in, you know, whatever. This is July, it was, earthquake was in March, so four months. Like foul stuff, you know, fish up on the roofs of houses and stuff. Really hard physical work, but really good and important. And Crossway One came in in the midst of that. And as we're going along, dirty, hard work every day, a friend of a friend of a friend gave me a call and was like, he's a Japanese pastor, and he's like, hey, we have a building on the property next to our church that we wanna build a relief center there to house short-term workers and be a warehouse to give supplies to the community. Can you guys come knock down the building that's there right now? We're like, yes, we can. <laughs> and so that was when um, the first Crossway team was there, and we went for three days, and there was a wonderful Japanese carpenter there who would tell us in what order to disassemble the house so that we didn't pull out a supporting beam and crush ourselves. And we just, we tore down this building and had a good time. <coughs> Excuse me. And in the midst of that, we got to know Pastor Yukimasa, who you saw in the picture at the beginning, the associate pastor of the church and his father. And we got to hear about their vision to reach the community, um, their love for their neighbors and community. And Crossway was there at day one as we started that relationship where my wife and I eventually ended up serving for four years um, out of that partnership. As Pastor Jun um, said, we've seen several people encounter Jesus, get saved and baptized. We've seen the community blessed through the work of the church. Um, and we've seen those relationships continue to grow as we walk together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's, that's huge fruit ministry in Japan that you as Crossway helped start and are a big part of. Another big piece of ministry in Japan was A Tale of Two Juns, or A Tale of Two Junes. So, 
but you know, one of those guys. But I think Pastor John's upset with me right now, but you know, we're good, right, buddy? <laughs> okay, good, I got the thumbs up. Um, but um, second summer, when Pastor John and Crossway 2 came, we were looking at kind of how we were setting up the schedule. And I was contacted by a friend of a friend of a friend who said there's this oyster farming village that was devastated by the disaster. It's one of those places that if you saw it on the news, there's, they'll have a before picture of all these houses and an after picture of a valley with dirt and maybe some roads. It was one of those places. Thankfully, there wasn't much loss of life at all in this town, but it was completely decimated. And we came to know that the um, oyster process in Japan, it's a two-year process from the time you put, oyster, you put shells in the water until you actually can sell something and make some money. So these oyster farmers lost everything and they lost their source of income. So they were pouring their savings and whatever grants and everything else they could into their business for two years trying to get going again. And so we had the opportunity with Crossway 2 and Pastor John to come along and be cheap physical labor, like free <laughs> physical labor. Um, um, but what the work ended up being, if, if you've seen a really old movie, it seems like old movies are always this way, with a prison scene, and the prisoners are, for whatever reason, they're like in pairs, chained together. We didn't use chains, but they're in pairs, and they have rocks, and they're breaking the rocks. You kind of know like the striped suits and everything, that image, like out in the sun, breaking rock kind of a thing. And that was basically what we did. We had, we had piles of thousands and thousands and thousands of scallop shells. And we would sit there in pairs out under these tarps in the sun, and you'd poke a hole in the shell and throw it. Poke a hole in the shell and throw it. And these are eventually strung together, and that's what the oysters grow on. But the Crossway team spent three days, about six hours a day or something, in the sun. Just slow, meaningless, not meaningless, but slow, tedious labor. It was very meaningful. <laughs> Poor word choice. But um, in the midst of that time, I got to know Jun, um, our Japanese friend here, a guy about my age. Uh, he told me his story that when the tsunami struck, he was in his city, in the, his small town. And at the time, he was working at an after-school program, so he hopped in the car and took off to go see if the school was okay. Um, he, as he was crossing the Bay Bridge in his town, the wave came in and it destroyed uh, the city on both sides. Um, this was the area that had the largest loss of life in Japan during the disaster. So he's, June's one of our friends that like, five minutes before, five minutes after, we don't know June. Uh, but thankfully he was able to survive the bridge, make it home, and start helping his father rebuild the oyster village. And then after the team left through the years, we got to have conversations with June as we continued to go and help him where June said one day, the Shinto and Buddhists aren't here anymore, neither is the government. Why are you Christians still coming? And we could share you know, how Christ compels us to come love them. Um, there was a time when we ended up talking about the Bible or something, and he was like, but I can't understand the Bible, I'm a fisherman. And we were able to share, well, actually, like the disciples were fishermen, so like, they're your people, dude. And like, there was another moment where we're on his boat and he shared that like his girlfriend had dumped him because he was looking at inappropriate images. And we were able to talk about what it means to be made in God's image and how that kind of plays out in our life. And so you guys provided the chance to know June. And through June, we were getting to know his city. And there's a village in this rural area of Japan that is being impacted by the gospel because of your work. And so thank you for your partnership there. One last person before Paul grabs me off the stage. We're landing, buddy. But um, there's Akiko here, who we talked about at the beginning as well. And she's somebody who, at the English event that you guys do, she showed up the first time as a helper. Then she started coming to one of our church English classes. Then she started coming to two of our church English classes. Then she joined our church gospel choir. Then she joined, uh, had her kids come to English too. And she's somebody that the Christian community has really resonated with. 
And she is just dive, dove in. Um, the generosity, the unity there is really appealing to her. And we have the chance to know her because of you. So going forward, we're heading to a town called Shiogama. Um, and in partnership with the same Japanese church, we're hoping to plant a church there. Um, in some ways, it kind of feels like um, when I heard Pastor Jen talk about the Irvine campus uh, several years ago before it launched, um, there's some similarities there. But we're going to be taking a small team into this uh, town of 60,000 people with maybe 100 Christians and no vibrant kind of Christian witness there. And we're going to start a community and see what happens. If people come to faith we grow. If nobody comes to faith, five or six of us will sit around in the living room and have a good time. Um, but please be praying for that. And, and please consider if um, hopefully Crossway's coming back this summer, that's kind of the plan. And that'll be one of the main focuses is working with that church plant. So just to have that out there. But going back to Luke 2.42, um, this is what we do. Um, this is what we do in Japan. I think it's I think I believe it's applicable to your life in Southern California just as much as it is to East Texas, Central Pennsylvania. Um, I just love how Luke paints this simple picture of how if we continue just to meet daily, to love one another, unity, prayer, and seeing the world um, through the lens of Scripture. Um, and then what can you do? Um, it is my hope that kind of the missions thing is kind of resonating with you in some way. Um, and that God is kind of burdening you for Japanese people particularly because that's my context, but other people are valuable too. But um, I really, I, I encourage you to pray. Um, in Japan, the church is represented. And what I mean by that is like there's kind of every flavor of Christian is there and they're kind of doing their favorite type of ministry and nobody's seeing faith, sorry, nobody's seeing fruit consistently. The church is shrinking. So it's not a methods issue. Um, it's a spiritual issue. And so I just ask that you remember June, you remember Miyuki, you remember Akiko, and you pray that they would encounter Jesus in a significant way. If you know Japanese people, pray for them by name. Most Japanese people have likely never been prayed for by name if they don't have a Christian relative. So that's the number one thing. Please, um, as you're able to remember, pray for the people of Japan that they would encounter Christ. Short-term missions, um, it can mess up your life in a really good way. Um, and I just encourage though, any of you that have the opportunity to go. Um, your church does great stuff with Japan, with Mississippi. Um, there's other opportunities I've heard of here and there. And take a chance and go for it. Long term, um, just like I shared, Japan and other countries around the world need long term workers. Um, we, we're praying for some of your Crossway folks that they come, <laughs> Daniel. And um, <laughs> sorry, did that come out? Sorry. And, um, but in all seriousness, um, God may be leading you to, to spend a season of life overseas. Um, living out your Christian faith there intentionally. Encourage you to consider that. And then give. If God's kind of blessed you financially, how can you help the work move forward overseas? Um, what foreign groups can you partner with? Um, can you help some struggling college student get on the Mississippi trip? What can you do to leverage the way God's blessed you to help see his kingdom expand overseas? Um, yeah, going back to why Japan, I just want to throw my friends' faces up there again. Um, and I do hope you remember them. I do thank you for the chance to be here this morning. It's, it's really good. We, we love Crossway. Um, we love what God is doing here. And I want to quote, I want to finish with a, just a quote from uh, just a commentary about Acts 2 that I think N.T. Wright sums up really well, just kind of Luke's call here. And it says that the gospel hasn't changed. God's power hasn't diminished. People still need rescuing. What are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Um, let's pray. Father, we love you. Um, we thank you that yeah, you have saved us, that you, that you sought us out, um, and that we have the opportunity to know you. 
And we pray that your kingdom would come here in Irvine um, and in Japan. And Lord, in the specific ways that you're calling us to be a part of that, I pray that we would be obedient. Um, we love you so much and we thank you for the privilege of knowing you. In Jesus' name, amen.